Hello again, everyone. And if you have a Bible or device, I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be there in just a short moment. It's Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Well, we are in the Christmas season, and uh, I guess we got a little reminder of that with the snow this morning, and then as well, we had the, some of the angels and shepherds, and uh, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And in the next few weeks, we'll be obviously looking in the lower story uh, at Mary and Joseph and the baby and, and some of the other characters of the Christmas story. But we're also this year going to look from the upper story uh, perspective, that God is bringing about the completion of his plan. Uh, a baby just wasn't born. This baby was actually prophesied about before the creation of the world. This was part of God's plan from the beginning. So if you're investigating Christianity, you're new to the Bible, you'll find, uh, first, the Bible is all about God. It's a story of God. It's a story about Christ. But you'll find um, before Jesus was born in the Old Testament, there were a number of prophets who made these prophecies about where this Messiah would be born, where this Messiah would live and, and describing his life, uh, how he would uh, die and be raised again. And so Christmas is about God fulfilling those promises. And then in the New Testament, we have all the promises to do with Christ's second return. So we can take assurance that just as he brought this about, one day he will bring uh, Jesus. He will come back to this world uh, the prophet, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, God said this in Isaiah 46, what I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. And so with the stories of Jesus and the narrative of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four gospel writers, they take us back to the Old Testament, connecting the dots. And they're saying, remember when the prophet Isaiah said this? Well, here's how it played out in the life of Jesus. Remember the prophet Malachi said this? Here's how it played out. So we're going to be looking from the upper story uh, some of these promises in the next uh, few weeks. And so we're going to begin with Luke in Luke chapter 1 today and actually the next few weeks. And if you're not familiar with Luke, he was a historian. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll find people, places, and events, and uh, he is an accurate historian, esteemed historian. People have investigated the Bible more than any other book by far, but in the Gospel of Luke, there have been people who have come to faith because of the accuracy of Luke. So Luke is telling us, here's what happened. In fact, at the beginning of his letter uh, about Jesus, his account of Jesus, he says something to this effect. He says, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, who was a high-ranking official in, in Rome. He was a Christian. Uh, and he says, Theophilus, I'm writing an orderly account for you. He's going to write an orderly account for you about Jesus so that you can have certainty in what you believe, that these events are real and true. And he says, I've gone to talk and speak to eyewitnesses. And it's interesting the word he uses uh, for eyewitnesses. It's the Greek word atopse, and it's the, from which we get our English word atop, autopsy. So just like a physician would do a, dissect a body or a scientist would dissect a body, Theophilus, I'm dissecting the events that have come to pass. I've talked to the eyewitnesses. And he would have talked with Mary because we see this reflected in his gospel. He not only was a historian, but he was a physician. 
He knew babies. He knew how they were delivered. And so he opens, actually, his gospel with two birth narratives. The birth narrative of John, later to be known as John the Baptist, and the birth narrative of Jesus. And he's opening with those two birth narratives because he wants us to understand the promises about both those births have come to pass. They were both prophesied. So in the beginning of Luke, you would read in your Bible, and uh, we're going to pick up a little with the conception of Jesus, but with the conception of, of John, uh, we read that uh, God sends an angel to uh, the angel Gabriel to Zacharias, and he, Luke explains uh, how this came about, Elizabeth's pregnancy, and then he's going to explain the birth of Jesus. Now, for us, we would say, wait a second, in Malachi, 400 years before Jesus, God promised that there would be a forerunner. God promised Elijah that he would come before and announce the way of the Messiah, that there would come someone who would say, ladies and gentlemen, let me present to you the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, sins of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, let me present to you the one whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. And the gospel writers connect us that John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So Luke opens with that, uh, the conception of that birth, and now he's going to transition. He's going to talk about the conception of the Christ child. So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 1, we're going to be going through Luke verses 26 through 38. And may God, may God give you more faith today to take God as his word, because what he has said will come to pass. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Elizabeth, six months pregnant, and now God sends the angel Gabriel to Mary. Notice God sends. God sends. God moves. God wills. In our lower story, we're looking, we see people, places, and events. But there's a God who's involved with his creation. And God, at the right time, he sends this angel. Now, the angel Gabriel, there's only two angels mentioned in Scripture. One is Michael, one is Gabriel. Michael is an archangel. Gabriel is a messenger angel. Um, Gabriel just appears a few times in Scripture. Here in Luke 1, uh, Gabriel appears to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and then he appears here to Mary. And the only other time he's mentioned in Scripture is in Daniel 8 and 9, where he appears to Daniel, giving Daniel a timeline about the coming Messiah. So, so he's a messenger angel. And, and by the way, can I just say this? If you're here and you're investigating Christianity, angels aren't everywhere in the Bible, okay? They're rare. We've got a period of time covered in the Bible. And angels are usually, they show up at times, at key times in redemptive history. They're in clusters. The birth of Christ is redemptive history. It's a big turning point. We see angels. Angels are spirit beings. They have no bodies, but they take on bodies to appear 
to, to humans in the lower story. So angels aren't, you're, don't wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to see an angel, okay? That's not happening for the most part, okay? This is with certain times. And so God sends uh, an angel, the angel Gabriel, only one of two angels that are mentioned, to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is in the north. If you would find Jerusalem on Google Maps, find Jerusalem, and go north to Nazareth, Nazareth was in the middle of nowhere, and it was a place you really didn't want to be raised in or born in. Uh, if you, uh, it, with uh, later, uh, um, I'm trying to think, uh, Philip said to Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel, I think we found the Messiah it's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a, a little village, about three to 500 people, and it was kind of a, a derogatory or a derisive term to be called a Nazarene. And um, so Mary is, a, is from Nazareth. It's, kind of, I, it's not the same today if I said, hey, do you know Mary uh, from Hawksville? Oh, do you know Mary from Alora? Oh, do you know Mary from Drayton, right? We, we don't have that reaction, but in that day, God sends an angel to this nowhere place. Notice to a woman named Mary, probably about 15 years old, and she is a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. In ancient Jewish weddings, so let's go back to that day, there were two um, stages of a wedding. There was the betrothal, where you were pledged, and then there was the wedding or the marriage celebration. And in the betrothal uh, uh, event, we would sometimes say, oh, it's kind of like today's engagement, but it was much more formal than today's engagement. It was much more binding, legally binding. Uh, in that day, um, uh, you would have uh, the man and the woman, and they would speak their vows to each other. They would legally be married. That was in the betrothal. But prior to them speaking their vows to one another, there was a con contractual agreement uh, between the two families. Usually it was the father of the, of the boy and the father of the girl, and they'd work out uh, some sort of financial agreement. So all of you that had toddlers here this morning, up on stage? Okay, here's how it'd work. It'd be like, yeah, you see that two-year-old, three-year-old uh, boy? That's my boy there. Uh, I noticed that you have a three-year-old girl over there. Would you like to talk? Would you like to make an agreement? And even at a young age in that day, from all of these little close villages, uh, uh, an agreement would be made. And a bride price called dowry would be paid. So the father of the, of the girl would say, well, what are you going to give to me for her? Because she was going to leave the family home and go and work, because they worked in those days. They, they go and work, and they still do today, but I mean, everybody worked, and they, she would go and work for this family of, of the boy. So what are you going to give me? And actually, it was kind of like alimony. If something happened in the marriage and there was a divorce, that, that that girl and that family would have some money. So they would work out this contractual agreement, usually land or livestock, and then they would bring the, the, the boy and the girl together, Mary and Joseph, they would say their vows. So that was the betrothal period. The wedding 
celebration, the marriage celebration, was a year later. A year later. And during that year, for the most part, they wouldn't see each other. There'd be no sexual relations. Mary and Joseph, they'd be apart. And during that year, uh, the man would go to his home, his family home, and with his father, with his brothers or siblings or, or, or people, his sisters, they would build an addition onto the home. Because what would happen is after a year, uh, that guy would go back, get his bride, bring her back to the family home. They would have a celebration. It was usually a week-long celebration where they would celebrate this uh, couple. And it was during that time that they would consummate the marriage, that they would have sexual relations. Just before we go on, it's interesting Jesus, who is, we're told, uh, the groom, and we, his people, we're speaking metaphorically here, are the bride, that Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's using that same imagery. I'm going to the fathers, I'm going home, but I'm going to come back to get you, and then we're going to be together forever. Interesting. Uh, but here's how it plays out in our story. It's during this betrothal time, when she's pledged to be married to Joseph, that she's going to get the news that she's going to become pregnant. Verse 29. The Lord appears to her, and then... Uh, here's Mary's response. Mary, oh, sorry, not Mary. The angel appears to her, and here's Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Okay. Most of the times you see an angel, or an angel comes into the lower story, takes on uh, material form, that the people are frightened. And not because angels are scary, but because they're mighty. And so Mary, obviously, we're not sure where she was at this point, in her home, somewhere in the village, but the angel appears to her, and she's troubled. And then we get the announcement. Mary, here's the plan. Let me share the plan. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, you are going to have a boy. This is what we call the ultimate gender reveal. Right there. How many of you are familiar with this new thing called gender reveals, right? Okay. Fairly new. I've never been to a gender reveal party. Okay. But the, I've heard about them. There's, I guess, balloons, and then you pop the balloons, and then, oh, blue confetti comes down, or pink confetti. Or you cut a cake, and is it icing in the cake? Blue icing or pink icing? Something like that's in the cake. And like, oh, it's a boy, it's a girl, right? Um, there's also been uh, uh, the, the, the woman who kind of came up with this concept 15 or so years ago. She's actually had to go on record asking people to kind of like just to dial it down a bit because there's been, in this in the States, there's been a few instances where they've made smoke bombs, right? 
And these smoke bombs go off, oh, pink or blue. But the problem is that there's been wildfires. And uh, there's been quite a bit of damage there. And I'm thinking to myself, you're making this smoke bomb and you're going to have a baby boy? Come on, like, okay, anyway. In my day, the gender reveal went like this. I had a boy, a girl, and a boy. I'm in the hospital delivery room, and the doctor says, it's a boy. <laughs> and I walk out of the hospital room, and I go to a payphone. Does everybody, anybody remember the payphones? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have dimes and quarters in my pocket. You need another 10 cents? No, I had to make a collect call. Collect call to mom and dad. Guess what? We had a boy. That's how it went. In our story, right, Gabriel is not coming with balloons. He's coming with a message. Mary, you're going to have a boy. You're going to call him Jesus, Yeshua, because he's the one that's going to save his people. And Mary, he is going to be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High. Mary, with him, there's going to be a throne and a reign and a kingdom, a king who is the most loving king and does what's best for people. He will reign. And then Mary obviously responds. Verse 34, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over creation is the same Holy Spirit that will hover over your womb. And both Matthew and Luke make sure we know that this is a virgin, that this conception will not include a biological father. They want us to know that because if it was a biological father, then the seed of Adam would have been passed down, that, that Jesus would have had a sin nature. No, somehow God, the Holy Spirit, will uh, implant that seed in the woman. It's, it's a miracle how this works so that this child would not be tainted by sin. This child would not be the result of a natural sexual union between a man and a woman. So that's why we believe in Jesus that he's not only uh, born of Mary, he's man, but he's also the pre-incarnate son of God come to us, taking upon himself human flesh, that at one time in history, God himself was in an embryotic form in the womb. He's called the God-man. And when Jesus, God incarnate, when he came and took upon himself human flesh, it wasn't like putting on a jacket for a season. He's forever the God-man. In heaven, he's fully man, fully God. That's the one that we are going to see. Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. In the Old Testament, that Hebrew word has the idea of that somehow God's presence is right there, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, it's usually at this point in reading the Christmas story um, that we would say, oh, this is a cute Christmas story but you want me to believe in an angel, you want me to believe in a virgin birth, and then later a star, come on, you know, I, I maybe can't believe in that. So we're not, today, we've talked about this before, but we're not talking today about angels and about the star, but let me just talk for a moment about the virgin birth. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book, Is Christmas Unbelievable?, talks about the virgin birth, and she says this, for some, belief in God seems reasonable, but believing in a virgin's birth is a supernatural bridge too far. Okay, I believe in God, but 
A virgin's birth, uh, I'm not, I, I can't cross that bridge. She goes on to say, but if there's a God who made the universe, it's not irrational to think he could also make one human being in a uniquely supernatural way. In fact, it would be irrational to think he couldn't. In other words, if there's a God who made all things and you believe in him, it's logically inconsistent for you to say he can't do a miracle and create a unique child. And then she continues, but what about modern science? Hasn't that disproved the possibility of a miracle like the virgin birth? No, science describes the regular workings of nature. Miracles are by definition irregular. And she goes on to say, some of the world's top scientists believe in the virgin birth, not because they don't understand how human re reproduction works, but because they believe Jesus' claims about who he is and the historical testimony about him. And not just scientists, there's many scholars at the top of the field that believe in the virgin birth. So to believe in God, I have to leave open the possibility of a virgin birth. And if I don't believe in God, if I'm an atheist, then it's logically consistent not to believe in the virgin birth, that, there's a, uh, that, that, she, that Jesus was born of a virgin. The challenge with the atheist uh, naturalistic worldview is that uh, they too have to have faith. An atheist has to have faith. It's a question of whose faith has more evidence. Um, Glenn Scrivener says this, and I love this quote, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. And that's why I applaud all of our Christian apologists and scholars who are saying, let's talk about reality. What makes more sense of the reality? Let's look at the facts. Christianity is not about just close your eyes and believe. It's about the facts. Here's the Christian worldview, plays out. Let's look at the history, looks at evidence for Jesus' birth and resurrection. And let's look at the atheist worldview and how that plays out. Which is the better view? That's another conversation. And, um, but, but here's the point. Is there is a God who can do a miracle. And the virgin birth really is a miracle. So Mary... You're going to have a boy. How's this going to come about? And Mary, there's going to be no biological father. God's going to be involved. And then to kind of maybe help Mary, because Mary's, a little later she's going to process this. Because Mary, like every single girl and boy and mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, every single person in that day in Jewish culture was awaiting the Messiah. She knew a Messiah was coming. And when she puts it together, I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. She gets it. But here she is just, things are, are just, I'm sure, just whirling around in her head. So here the angel speaks to her to, to give her a little more um, assurance. The angel says, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary, you know your your relative, probably your cousin, your cousin, Elizabeth, you know how old she is. You know she's barren. Let me tell you. And we're going to go there next week, just outside of Jerusalem in the hill country where Elizabeth and Zechariah are. But let me tell you, Mary, you should hear what they're saying at the bingo, the bingo hall. Oh my goodness, it's wild. Elizabeth's pregnant. God's working there, Mary, and God's working here. And what God says, no word of his will fail, ever fail. No promise he makes will ever not come to pass. What he says will come to pass. Because the God who makes promises is the God 
of the impossible. And then here's Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. My life is about the Lord. I'm living for him. And so may his will be done in my life. Just a few things before we move into our communion time. First, like Mary, God has a plan for each of us. He has a plan for your life. But like Mary, in almost all cases, he doesn't reveal all the details of the plan. God doesn't send the angel Gabriel to Mary and say, Mary, you're going to have a baby boy. Uh, that baby boy, you're going to have to actually put him in a, a manger because, well, I'll, that's another story. Oh, and then after that, you're going to have to go to Egypt. And after that, oh, he's going to die on a cross. And after that, be raised the third day. And after that, he didn't give Mary the whole plan. It was step by step. And that's how God works in our lives. But also, sometimes that plan is hard. For Mary, could you imagine as she's processing this news later on, like, what about Joseph? What about everybody in my village? What are they going to think? I'm pregnant. What about the Romans? It's interesting. Jesus, we believe, if you date back the calendar, we're in 2022 now, you go back to, um, uh, to a, B.C., A.D. in that distinction, but then you go five years B.C. That's when we probably believe Jesus was born, somewhere around 5 B.C. But the Jewish historian Josephus in 4 B.C., describes an event where in Sephora, which is a village just near Nazareth, about six kilometers away, in Sephora, the Romans had to send in the guard because in Sephora, in that day, the Jews wanted their Messiah, they hated the Romans, and so some Jews took over the armory in Sephora, and um, the Romans sent in the guard, and they burned the village, and they um, crucified a number of the rebels there. Josephus tells us that because that day there was this messianic fervor. And so for Mary to hear about a throne and a king, a king and a reign and all of that, it's like, oh, she, what about the Romans? What about my baby and the Romans? So she's processing all of that. She's going to have to face things, but step by step, Lord, your will be done in my life. And in particular, young people, I want to just encourage you because I, you know, talking with different young people and hearing this again and again, What's God's will for my life? Well, there is, there's his moral will. He wants you to be a truth teller. He wants you to be kind. He wants you to be loving. That's his moral will. But yes, he does have a will for your life. And so I'd encourage you to, uh, again, take in the different ways God speaks. First, God leads through his word, through the Bible. So you open your Bible. You get to know it more by uh, little by little by little, and you grow in your knowledge, and you're like... Does God say anything here about the guy, the guy, if you, you know, Lord, should I get married? Or, you know, um, what, what, what about the guy or what about the girl? Uh, what, should I go to school, to college? Should I go right to get a job? Where should I live? All of those decisions, does it say anything in the Bible? Secondly, God leads through wise counsel. So who around you in your life is someone that they're following the Lord and they seem very wise because God, you can share with them and then they can speak into what you're trying to decide. And uh, you still have to make the decision, but sometimes they'll say something and it's like, oh, okay, I never thought of that. 
Scripture says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It's a good thing. And this is not just for young people. It's for all of us. That we're getting other godly people speaking into our lives. And then God also leads through circumstances. Okay, it's not front and center, but he does, sometimes we look around and we go, okay, is this the right time? Is there an open door, closed door? And then God also leads through his spirit. When we become a Christian, Jesus comes into us through his Holy Spirit. And sometimes we have these impressions or these promptings and, Lord, I think you want me to go here. Or, Lord, I think you want me to do this. And so we're weighing all of that, realizing, though, that it all requires faith. Just like Mary had to have faith step by step, young people, you do too. There's no, God's not going to put it often in the sky for you. I know for me, uh, when I was a younger person, I still do this today, but I go through the different ways God speaks, and I uh, kind of, uh, God calls us to be wise, so I say, okay, Lord, it seems to me, here's what I should do. Here's the decision I should make. But I always pray, Lord, if this is not what you want me to do, this is not your will, would you change something? And usually I give it a period of time. I'm a linear thinker, but during this time. And there's been times, for the most part, nothing changes and I make the decision. But there's been times where my heart has changed or God's brought something else into the equation. But it's, it's this, this posturing where you're saying, God, I just want to do you well. I'm going to trust you. And so a lot of the decisions I made, it wasn't in the sky, but I just worked through the process and said, Lord, I'm going to trust you because doing God's will requires faith. And so we applaud Mary. She had faith step by step to do her part in the bigger story. Um, also, for those of you that are here that are here and going to have a holly jolly Christmas, okay, some of you, holly jolly, okay, we've got maybe some friends and family coming or maybe you've got some food, good food, maybe you've got some good gifts, right? Just a reminder to you that in this Christmas season, we can celebrate God's good gifts and their wonderful things, but there's something so much bigger. The giver of the gifts has come to us and has given himself to us. Parents with children, in the midst of what, I don't even know what kids want these days. I don't have any grandkids yet or whatever. Like, is Cabbage Patch doll still? I don't know, whatever it is. In the midst of all of that, oh, parents, keep pointing them to Jesus. Oh, there's a bigger story going on. Do you believe 2,000 years ago he came and became one of us, and oh, he's coming again? Have a holly jolly Christmas in the context of the greater story. And then if you're here and you're not going to have a holly jolly Christmas, maybe it's because you've lost a loved one, and right now the pain is raw, Maybe it's because things, there's family relations or relational problems right now and things aren't the way you wish they were. Someone's struggling with something. Maybe you're here and it's to do with a job and money and the economy and everything like that. That is real. And that is hard. But even in the midst of that, there is still reason that you too can look to God and celebrate that he came to you in the person of Jesus because he's the only hope we have in this world. God, things are not right in my life, not the way I want to be, but Lord, because of you, I've got a happy ending. And when you know you have a happy ending, he's gone to prepare a place for you, he's going to come and take you to be with him, it helps you to better face the challenges of today. Find that Jesus this Christmas too. And then if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, 
The reality is we're all going to die and your hope, whatever it's tethered to, sooner or later is going to be cut. Our hope, if it's tethered to Jesus, will never be cut. Because he came as a child, died on a cross for our sins, rose again the third day, and he's coming again. And what God said, to, uh, said about the first coming of Jesus came to pass, and what God says about the second is going to come to pass as well.